ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is gentlemen welcome to another episode of hard to paint with david grubb i am glad to welcome an old friend um he was a regular on the radio show for several episodes and i'm glad to have him join me for the first time on the pod charles reese from the primetime lsu podcast is with me how are you doing man it's been too long since we spoke last Man, it's been like an extremely long time and everything with covid uh, starting the real world and getting a real job it's like Covering LSU has kind of taken a back step. But, man, at the same time, it's like if there was one season to take a back step, I think I picked the right one. Yes. Like, <laughs> I'm really glad that they've limited media so I haven't had to go and be at the games <laughs> for the most part because it's just been that kind of season where I don't – like, I don't – the post-game press conferences, I'm glad I'm not there. I'm just glad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So let's let's just jump right into it because there's nothing there's not a lot to say. LSU goes to the Plains, a place where they always have difficulty, but no one expected them to get beat to the tune of forty eight to eleven. Um, just quickly before we start breaking it down, because I'm going to start with the defense. But before we get into the breakdown, just forty eight eleven on the road at an at a mediocre Auburn team. This is as low as it's been since the Troy game. It, I mean, I, I don't think you're wrong. It, it's almost reminiscent of some of the, you know, last few years of the Les Miles era. And, and it's crazy to think that this team won a national championship last year to turn into the type of effort that we're seeing from this team. Look, it, it's bad when you have two guys that are picked to be number 18 and neither are really a starter for this team anymore. And not only that, a guy in Jacoby Stevens who gets number seven, and that's a number that, you know, maybe a guy like Derek Stingley could have, could have, you know, deserved more. But Jacoby's played, you know, last year and in the past to deserve that number. There's no true leadership. And it starts from coaching. And look, I'm, I, I, for you, I'm glad you're not in those press conferences after the game because how many more times can we hear Ed Ogeron say, it's my fault. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to prepare better. I right. should have had these guys focused. Look, Ed, we, we heard that last week, the week before, and the week before that. And in two weeks, the whole uh, roll tide what? That's really going to hurt LSU in two weeks when they come into Baton Rouge. And, and Alabama has a, uh, a bone to pick with LSU, and not only in the game, but this is going to be big for recruiting as well. Nick Saban's going to turn some tides, and, and you're going to see that affect LSU come February. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. And that point you make about leadership to me is extremely important. Last year, in, in the last three years, you could define who the leaders were on this team on both sides of the ball. LSU had several of them last year, none bigger than Joe Burrow, but you couldn't tell us that Clyde, you know, the team spoke up all the time. Clyde Edwards Hilaire is a leader. You know, defensive side, you've had those guys, you know, um, just. And, and, yes, we can talk about the guys who opted out. Kerry Vincent certainly would be valuable right now. There are a number of players who, who if they hadn't opted out, yeah. But everybody's having that this year. 
everybody's got those issues this year to some degree. You're a national championship team. You see this all the time. This is what you go through. This is a team that legitimately now with Alabama, then um, Texas A&M, then uh, Florida, LSU could be looking at a four and six season. And I think they'd be lucky to go four and six. You know, this Auburn team is a team that, you know, if you go back to that SEC game against Ole Miss, should have lost to Ole Miss. Is LSU going to be able to stop Ole Miss? Because I don't believe so. The question is, is can they win in a shootout? And we've seen LSU already lose in shootouts. Look against Missouri. Look, LSU could be a team that – and to be frank, they could lose to Arkansas. This could be a two-win LSU team, a team that goes undefeated to a team that wins two conference wins. And, and look, yes, I understand it's COVID, but to go back to your point, how much better is this team with Jamar Chase, Kerry Vincent, and, and Tyler Shelvin? Are those guys really difference makers? In my opinion, I don't think so. No, I don't think they turn the tide. Not when you're this bad. So let's start with the defense because the numbers, as you get deeper into them, the comparison from last year to this year, and, and we all know, none of us would have said that there wouldn't be some regression from last year to this year. You can't equal what you did last season. But let's just 12th in the SEC in defense, dead last against the pass, 143 yards a game on the ground. This is the against Auburn, they gave up more than 500. That's the third time they did it this season. They only did it three times all the last season. Then you look. <laughs> Last year, they, I mean, they gave up 300 yards passing to Bo Nix. And in his life, Bo Nix has only had 200, two other 300-yard passing games. They came against Mississippi State and Mississippi last season. This is He gets 380 total yards. This LSU team can't stop anybody at any level right now. They can't stop the run. They can't stop the intermediate game. And they for dang sure can't stop the, the, the big play because they're giving up a 40-yard-plus uh, play every game, and you give up a 90-yarder against Auburn. Yeah, and that 90-yarder, look, that's it's one of those plays where I'm at, I, I'm at the feeling where if Auburn's going to go for it, go for it, because if we can't stop you, then do whatever you want, you know, and that's kind of like what has been happening to LSU all year. It, not only can they not stop the pass, but they can't stop the run. They can't stop runs in between the tackles, and, and one of LSU's strong suits this year was supposed to be their linebacker play. And like I said earlier, you have a guy in Damone Clark who's not starting anymore. Micah Baskerville is, is, and is playing in a spot. Jabril Cox, a first-round talent who is coming to LSU to solidify, if not improve, his draft stock. I, I, David, I don't even know if he's a top three-round pick right now the way he's been playing. And it's top to bottom. Yes, look, I, I think you do have some bright spots on, on the defense. A guy like B.J. Ujulari, you have Ali Gay, and then you have your cornerbacks. But other than that, man, this team is loaded with four and five stars in that defensive, and not only in the front, but in the secondary. And your safety play may be the worst. I, I can't even remember how bad the safety play has been. And you've got – talented guys back there and Jacoby Stevens and it's just it blows my mind that going into this year and I was one of them I agree with coach Ogeron that this defense was going to be better than last year it was going to be much better than last year and if anything it's much worse than it was last year and that's really saying something when 
that was one of the the blemishes on LSU's uh, team last year was their defense, and, and it all starts with coaching. And, and it, it's like this Bo Pelini hire in in some aspects, in my opinion, and this is only through five games, is worse than the Matt Canada hire. Yeah, let's. I mean, LSU has allowed four in four or five games. They've given up seven yards per play. You can't win that way. They did that three times last season. Only three. They've <laughs> this year they've given up over eight yards and played twice. This, I mean, it's just there's nothing. This stat too is crazy. As bad as the defense was at times last year, first nine games, everyone we all talked about it. If there was going to be something that was going to knock LSU off, it was the defense during the first nine games. Last six, they really started to turn it on. Teams were completing 50% of their passes last season. This season, 63%. That means you're not getting home on your pass rush. That means you're not making hits on the quarterback. It's not LSU's not committing a ton of penalties. They're not giving, they're not, uh, you know, they have a positive turnover ratio. So this is all, this is, this shows, like you said, coaching. And their mental approach, it's not working. It, it isn't. And, look, if imagine how much worse this defense would be if you didn't have Ricks and Stingley out there pretty much on islands. And you see it in that Auburn game. It's like they haven't learned anything from game one to now game five. And it's spots where Steve Sarkeesian is going to absolutely pick this defense apart. And that's putting receivers on linebackers and safeties, and they can't cover to save their lives. David, I think you and I could run routes against this linebacker core and score a touchdown if we had a good quarterback. Like, that's how, that's how bad this defense is. And you were supposed to be switching from a 3-4 under Aranda, which Ogeron didn't like, to a 4-3, which is what he wants to run. He, want, he wanted Bo Pelini. That's one of his guys. And, look, I don't want to hear the excuse that you haven't been recruiting for this type of defense. You've still been recruiting safeties linebackers you've been recruiting them yes you don't have your typical 4-3 defensive line but you've got a ton of talent on this defensive line you see it week in and week out with guys like Ujolari and Ali Gay that you've got a lot of talent up there it's just I I just don't understand it (laughs) at the end of the day it's it's coaching but it's also effort and it's really gotten to the point where I'm concerned that Coach Ogeron may have lost this locker room, and you're only halfway through the season. Yeah, that is that is the thing. Um, the test for Orgeron, and I thought going into the season, this was the, going to be the biggest test of his career. Was he going to be someone that you could look at and say, he can build a dynasty here? Or is he going to be someone and you look at as a, like a Larry Coker? who took over an extremely talented Miami program from Butch Davis that was on the precipice of winning. Um, And then he gets his national championship the year after they lose to Ohio state. And then Larry Coker's gone. And he's just a memory and a footnote now in college football. I'm not saying that's going to happen to Ed Orgeron right now. There's no way LSU fires him at the end of this season or something like that. But people are going to say, and like you said, this as a recruiting tool, people can say LSU can't do that. Ed Orgeron is not Nick Saban. Ed Orgeron is not this, not that. And this kind of performance, watching this week to week after a national championship, is an indictment on whatever level 
of Coach Ogeron's the first real indictment of his decision making since he took over. Yeah, and it's consistency. He preaches that it's you know it, it everything he said or it's the right things you want to hear. It's just not putting those things into play. I saw something uh, this past weekend after the game saying, is Ed Ogeron going to be the next Gene Chizik? I mean, tell me how he's not right now. Yes, look, he can rebound next year, but you have the Heisman quarterback, the number one overall pick, and it's pretty much identical to a Cam Newton. You know, you had multiple guys that uh, left, went into the NFL, had good NFL careers from that Auburn team, and I think you'll have the same from this LSU team. But going forward, Gene Chizik just kind of went downhill with a talented roster. And that's the thing about this roster is it's still very talented. And that's what's the most frustrating thing to me is, look, I understand some of these games, you know, they're kind of toss-ups. This Auburn game, Auburn's really not that good this year. That's not, no. a, that's not a, a team you should be losing to. But not only that, you should never lose to Missouri. You, you beat Vanderbilt, which is – probably the only team that's worse than you in the SEC right now. And somehow you pulled off a, a victory against South Carolina. Look, LSU's lucky they haven't played uh, the likes of Florida, A&M, or Alabama yet because those games are literally going to be bloodbaths for this team. Because if they continue to play like the team that got off the plane uh, against Auburn, they're going to lose. <laughs> they're, they're not going to cover the spread. That's how bad this team is playing right now. And, and the question is, is – how do you recapture that locker room? Look, maybe it's a good time this buy is coming. The only bad thing is after that buy, you do play that Alabama team. And it's a team that, look, LSU against A&M last year, they could have scored, I don't know, probably 80, 100 points if they wanted to. Alabama is going to be able to score 80 to 100 points against LSU. And, and I don't care who's starting, if it's Miles Brennan, TJ Finley, or Max Johnson, they'll be lucky to put up 21 against Alabama at this rate. LSU paid Bo Pelini $4.6 million to come to Baton Rouge. And that's what they would owe him if they let him go next season. I mean, at the end of this season. I was questionable about that hire when it happened. Um, Pelini had not seen much success uh, as a defensive coordinator at Youngstown State, as a head coach at Youngstown State. Even at Nebraska, every year his defense was getting worse and worse. It, it, It feels like he has not connected with this group. It seems as if the chemistry doesn't feel right. Um, and certainly the schemes have not been – this is supposed to be a simpler offense because everybody said Dave Aranda was too complicated. Pelini's uh, – this – it just feels like a bad marriage. And Orgeron, I understand that he loves relationships. Having – trusting Steve Ensminger is a huge key for that offense, the way that he's given that trust to Steve Ensminger. But I think on any staff, there has to be some tension, too. And that's gone now because Pelini's his guy. And I think that you've got to – you cannot hire your friends in every spot. No, you can't. And I think that you've seen uh, Ed do that in a couple of circumstances, and it's benefited him. And there are certain circumstances where it's kind of just been bad decisions. This is one of them. And, you know, I go back to that Canada hire, and it's documented. I mean, there are things that we can talk about that people don't really know about and what Canada was doing behind the scenes with the recruits. And that's reasons why it was bad. That offense still was putting up points. This defense can't stop anybody. 
I mean, I, you know, to go out on a whim, I think Tulane and UL would beat LSU right now. And they're not even in the same classes when it comes to talent. It's just how bad this defense is. And, and the, the bad thing is you talk about that Mississippi State game and you say, oh, well, you know, first game with the air raid, you know, maybe it was just something that, you know, it was a fluke type of game. That Mississippi State team has gone downhill since the LSU game. And it really, just looking at that one game and then looking at who Mississippi State has played, it shows you how bad this defense is. And the, the bad thing about it is this defense has gotten worse. And it's, you know, it's a telltale sign when, look, you're losing a game, you're getting your butt, butt kicked in Auburn, a, a team that's supposed to be one of your rivals. And, and guys just are very nonchalantly just walking around the sideline as if, you know, it's just another Saturday. You know, it's not a big deal, you know, they're going to go to the NFL or maybe they won't go to the NFL. Maybe next season will be better, but there's no accountability. And yes, you kind of see it on the offense, but where it's key to me is on that defense is that you do have some of those leaders that we talked about and they're just not, they're not pushing the envelope right now for this team. And it's, you know, there were a few plays in this game against Auburn where, you look at some of the defensive backs, the linebackers, and the play's going. The ball's been snapped. And guys have their hands up in the air, confused and not understanding where they're supposed to be. If anything, we've heard that this defense has been simplified. How much more simplified can this defense be? I mean, you've got Division One athletes. I can, we can probably go through the defensive roster right now and talk about five to six guys that are going to be playing consistently on Sundays, they're not acting like it at all. No. No. And, again, to use Auburn as example, up until this game, the, the book on, on Bo Nix was he was in regression. He, had, he was playing, you know, he, falling off from what he was last season, which wasn't that great anyway. And then he comes in and against LSU, and he looks like a first-round draft pick. And and the rest of the team is running the ball up and down the field, and they're running right past. I mean, untouched, untouched for on on the ground in the air. And there's a lack of communication, like you said. There's a lack of urgency. This team may have not only lost the locker room, but it looks like they're already abandoning the season that these guys are making business decisions that I'm not going to be the one to get hurt flying around for these guys. Yeah. Besides uh, maybe a guy like Trey Palmer, it's like, there's no spark on this team anymore. And, and, you know, maybe it's time that you sit some of these seniors and you let some of these younger guys play because some of these veteran players, it's like you said, they're, looking towards their future, you know, it, maybe it's the best time for some of these guys to just decide they're sitting out the rest of the season and they're going to get their bodies right and, and try to stay away from uh, the coronavirus. And, I mean, that's I, – I don't know what else you can do with this team right now, especially on the defensive side, to improve. Um, I, I think that you've got guys on this team that I was very excited to see. And one of those guys being Todd Harris – uh, Todd Harris has been invisible this season. Um, you, you had a guy in Mo Hampton who played well last year. Give Mo Hampton all the reps you can give him. Because I'd much rather see a guy like Mo Hampton back there than see Todd Harris or Jacoby Stevens uh, because that's the future of your football team. 
Either of those guys, uh, Stevens or, or Harris, are really the future going forward. LSU gets a commitment out of Lafayette uh, this weekend, and, and you, you kind of think that, you know, maybe this defense can improve. You had a really good defensive line class last year. Uh, maybe there's some hope. But to me, there's no hope for this defense as long as Bo Pelini is calling the plays. Let's go to the other side of the ball. And for all the disappointments, we can talk about the quarterback play, and we will. But we have to start up front with the offensive line. We thought when Ed Ingram returned that maybe some of those issues had been solved, but clearly they have not. When was the last time, if you can ever remember, where LSU gets 15 total rushing attempts from its backs in, a, in an SEC game? Yeah, and the crazy thing is how many yards that this offensive line uh, produced. Yeah. Yeah, 32, you know, it, that's just crazy in, in, in itself because in a game that's supposed to be a physical game, uh, a game that Ogeron talked about today in his Monday press conference that LSU lost it on the line, look, that's as true as it gets because not only the we talk about the defense a lot, they lost it on the line there, but the offense lost it on the line. In coming off a week where – um, against South Carolina, you thought, wow, this offensive line is starting to click. This offensive line is talented. I mean, look at – you know, this was the best offensive line last year in college football. Right. And you had some guys returning in an Ed Ingram and a Deculus. You know, I, I thought that even your, your center position was going to be pretty much on par uh, with the transfer from Harvard. But if anything, it's just inconsistency – among the board on this team and the offensive line, it's, it's crazy because going into this, you thought, well, Dare Rosenthal was going to be your solidified left tackle. And next thing you know, he's suspended indefinitely. And the question is, is it's, where's the commitment there? And I think offensive line is, is one of those positions where a unified front, a cohesive unit can benefit not only your, your rushing attack, but also your passing attack. I mean, look at how many times TJ Finley was hit on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And that's really – that's yes, look, some of that can be attributed to the fact that they couldn't get the run game going, but they weren't blocking for TJ Finley. And at the end of the day, this is a good offensive line. Uh, this offensive line is coached by a good coach. Where's the disconnect? I just don't know. And, and, and you know, we keep talking about going up to the top and, and what can we expect from Ed Ogeron going forward? It's like not only on defense, not only on offense, I mean, almost in some aspects on special teams, the players aren't buying into the message. And no. either the message needs to change or you got to go with some other people. Yeah. You take out the South Carolina game, and this is the next to last – rushing attack in the SEC, and you, we've seen them make, you know, over the last two seasons, Clyde Edwards-Alaire kind of came out of nowhere. We always knew he was talented, but nobody expected him to have the season he did last year. Year before that, you you get um, – I'm sorry, I'm, his name is escaping me now, and it shouldn't. Guys. Uh, yeah, not guys. Um, between um, – uh, the other – Right. Um, Nick Brissett. Nick Brissett, yeah. So you get Nick Brissett, and he puts up 1,300 yards. And Nick Brissett was in no way expected to do something like that. Now you've got, again, five-star guys in John Emery, in um, <clears throat> uh, Price, uh, Davis Price. And Davis Price gets three carries. 
You get nine from John Emery, and you can't block for these guys. LSU cannot be a one-dimensional team. They are not built to be a one-dimensional team, especially when you have a freshman quarterback on the field or even when you have a Miles Brennan who is in his first year as a starter. You better be able to do two things at once in the SEC because if you're one-dimensional, like you, said, you go up against that Florida defense, that Bama defense, that A&M defense, and, and, and we've seen it against even an Auburn defense that was a shadow of itself from last year's D-line. This, it's, it could be really bad offensively for the next few games as well. Yeah, look, it can. And, you know, like like you were talking about, you know, even if Miles Burning comes back, what does that guarantee? And, and, you know, you were talking about Steve Insminger earlier. Really, there, this, this game offensively was called pretty bad too. And, and mm-hmm. it kind of is another bad hire going into the season. It's, is that Scott Linehan hire? Yep. Look – you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, you lose to Missouri. And the biggest thing I took away from that, besides just the defense, was that your offense was 0 for 10 on third down. You went 0 for 4 trying to score from the one. And that's what he was brought in to do. I mean, LSU's third down completion percentage right now it is towards the bottom of NCAA, or NCAA football right now. It's one of the worst in division one. And it's crazy just to think about that. They're ranked 77th. They're 33% on the year. And you would think that this team would be that true 50, 50. And here's the thing about Saturday's game against Auburn. You want to talk about uh, Ty Davis price, Chris Curry and Emory. Those guys combined for 29 yards, 29 yards on, on 15, 15 carries. Yes. So you're telling me that your best backs averaged under two yards a carry. And look, you know, I think we saw Emory had his coming out party. The fact that Emory got nine touches, I really enjoy. But let's give the ball to Ty Davis Price. Let's get these guys out in space. I mean, tell me this, David. A a guy like Gilbert, who is one of the the best tight ends in the league as a freshman, doesn't get a ball thrown to him until the second half. And this game was close in the first quarter. I mean, you look at the ESPN win probability. It had LSU and Auburn neck and neck. LSU went up to like 57% at the end of the first quarter. And then all of a sudden, Auburn comes out and scores 21 in the second. And look, some of those were turnovers. You had the scoop and score. And you had the interception that led to a score. And it's, you know, you can say that's where you lost the game. But really, LSU's inability to score after seeing what TJ Finley did against South Carolina – it was really disheartening because, you know, it's like nothing is really clicking for this team right now. No, you you didn't give yourself a chance on either side of the ball. And that's the thing. It's like you can't point to one area. LSU's not getting explosive returns. LSU's not creating, you know, major turnovers. I mean, you know, they're not getting those kind of turnovers that matter right now. They're not on offense. They're not making big plays. And like you said, rhythm is so important early on they haven't established rhythm for any player and in that Auburn game you didn't you don't get it into actually don't get it in the hands of your freshmen you don't even try to give your running backs the opportunity hey maybe you can do something in space maybe you can do something here they didn't change anything there were no adjustments made and then eventually you turn it over to Max Johnson and Max Johnson's out there running for his life 
Yeah, and, and you know, some people were saying, well, look, Max Johnson played well. You know, I, I'm not sure how people can really take that away. Yes, he threw a touchdown. You know, he, he had a good rating towards the end of the game. But at that point, the game was over. And really, Max Johnson did nothing that really uh, really impressed me at the end of the day. He, I didn't see Max Johnson come in and think, this is the future. You know, and, and I, I guess I'll pose this question to you is, with Miles Brennan, if he can come back, because Ogeron was talking about uh, he's day-to-day today, uh, and he doesn't know if he'll be ready for the Alabama game, would you want to see Miles Brennan come back in, or, or do you think it's time to fully give this offense to a guy like T.J. Finley? Because in my opinion, T.J. Finley is, is the future of this offense. Yeah, I'm, I'm of the mindset that if, if Miles Brennan isn't 100% with the injury that he suffered, why are you in a rush to bring him back? I, I, don't, I don't see the upside either in Brennan himself because I think, you know, people say, well, he's clearly the starting quarterback, and that's what Ed Orgeron said. That's only because he's been there. You know, my thing on Miles Brennan has been he couldn't beat out Danny Etling. He couldn't beat out Joe Burrow when Joe Burrow was a nobody. He hadn't gotten snaps in games. He's the, play, the, the quarterback essentially by default, and even in the games – that we saw him in, you know, you could, yeah, he put up big yards against Mississippi State, fine. But like you said, Mississippi State is a, is not a good football team. And so we didn't see anything out of Miles Brennan with the talent that he has around him that made you think he's the future. You better figure out which one of these guys is, if Max Johnson or TJ Finley, because you also got Nussmeyer coming in next year. So and these guys want to play. This is the world you live in now. So unless you feel like Miles Brennan is going to make a jump next season, I'm like you. I agree with you. Let's start seeing what you have on the roster. Did you see uh, Nussmeyer's uh, throw this weekend? That yes, I did. Yard pass? Yes. I mean, if there's one thing to be excited about, it's the recruiting class coming in. But, you know, you, you were bringing up the point earlier, though, is just getting this team on a roll. And you kind of look at LSU's first quarter – possessions you know it's the play calling is there and maybe some of this is just having a freshman in there he's not able to read the entire field and he's trying to force the ball to a guy like Terrace Marshall I think Auburn did a really good job of taking him away but you can't tell me that this team doesn't have other other threats out there like I talked about with the Eric Gilbert you got a guy like Trey Palmer who has shown he's very explosive Kayshawn Booty gets his first touchdown and it seems like not only with T.J. Finley, Max Johnson, but even with Miles Brennan, this team is like a one or two read offense when it comes to passing the ball. When last year you had Joe Burrow making four to five reads every single time he snapped the ball. And it's crazy to think that you went from an RPO offense that works so well to an offense that's in some aspects is starting to turn stagnant. And if it wasn't for games like against Vanderbilt, Missouri, and South Carolina – look, this offense is really, really struggling against mid-level defenses in the SEC. And, and you know, you're only going to be playing better competition when it comes to defenses down the stretch. So, what – you know, we know two weeks is not enough for this team to get better for Alabama. But what, what are reasonable goals for them – at this stage, what, how does LSU adjust expectations for itself and try to 
make some success out of this season? Do we just throw record out of the window the rest of the way and try to, you know, gauge it by progress? And what does that mean for Ed Orgeron if this team does go two and eight or three and seven? Look, I, I think that COVID is going to help Ogeron a lot. I think the players opting out is going to help Ogeron out a lot. Um, but, you know, going forward, I mean, you've got some big games. You've got some really qualified, talented teams you're going to be playing. And the first one is against Alabama. And I, I'm kind of nervous about that game because I, like a lot of people in Louisiana, were on a high horse when we beat Alabama. We went 15-0 and and won a national championship. And, I, look, Ed Ogeron was high, on his high horse as well. I think Nick Saban's going to embarrass him. And I think that he's going to use that, like I said earlier, in recruiting. And hopefully that doesn't affect you whenever you talk about guys like Sage Ryan who committed to LSU. But the day before, everyone was saying that he was going to go to Alabama. You have some really talented guys in, in Louisiana that, you know, you're trying to get that. Look, the top three players in Louisiana before Sage Ryan committed, it's down to Alabama and LSU. And could LSU lose the other two? You know, is both of them coming from down the bayou. And LSU has had issues with kids in River Parish schools in the past. Uh, they've lost guys in the New Orleans area, in the North Shore area. And LSU could lose two really talented guys that, in some aspects, could be better than Sage Ryan at the end of the day. But what LSU needs to do, I think, to answer your question about going forward, what can you look for? It's got to be some type of self-pride. It's got to be some type of improvement. You know, if you want to turn this over to the younger guys, there's been a lot of that being made as an excuse for this team is that there's a lot of young talent. Well, buy into the young talent. Let the young talent play. You know, if anything, maybe we can see those guys go through the growing pains and maybe progress going forward. You know, I, I don't want to see these four- and five-year senior guys, uh, four- and fifth-year senior guys go out there and not show effort because that's what you have with this team. This team is not giving effort. And, look, I, I heard an interview today, um, and it was from uh, Verge Osbury, uh, mm-hmm. who is one of the associate ADs over at LSU, and he was talking about, you know, guys coming back, guys buying into the program, because that's what you had last year, and guys like Rashard Lawrence coming back, Lloyd Cushenberry uh, being there. You had guys that – you know, could have gone on and been fourth or fifth round picks, but then you also still had that. I mean, think about Jacob Phillips, a guy that you hear a little bit about, but a guy that really would have benefited, in my opinion, coming back for another year. And there were multiple guys on that team that, you know, I feel like should have come back. And, and that's almost one of LSU's biggest problems is having the consistency uh, throughout the years. You had that one year with Joe Burrow and you won a championship. How does Alabama consistently do it? Go look at who's on their team and look at the number of players that could have gone in the top three rounds that came back for their last year. And that's the difference. What Nick Saban's doing, we can talk about that off here. I think every, there's some suspicion about it. Everyone yes. believes that. But at the end of the day, he's still getting those guys back. And if you want to meet the, the standard in the SEC West and in the country, because Clemson and Ohio State is doing it as well, you have to find ways to keep consistency. And that's not only in players, but in play and more importantly, in effort. And that's what I want to see throughout the rest of the year is, is consistent play. And I want to see these guys, you know, really putting their best effort forward. And, and that's something that when LSU's losing a game, 
when LSU decides that they're not going to win, the effort goes out the window and, and it's, it seems like it's a joke on the sideline. Yet no team seems to – like LSU has every advantage possible for sustained success. They don't have an in-state rival. They have a ton of money. They are profitable up the wazoo. And yet you don't see a four- or five-year run like you see. Well, Alabama's on year 10, 12 of this run. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't see an Ohio State-type run in the top five, a Florida State-type run when they were, you know, doing top five finishes for 16 years in a row. Miami, LSU's never been able to do that. And part of it is that, that seamless transition from quarterback to quarterback. Part of it is, like you said, that retention of talent and making sure that it stays consistent. But each one of those programs that we just talked about, whether it's Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, they're losing assistance. When um, Urban Meyer was at Florida, he lost assistance to head coaching jobs in the SEC. But things didn't change. Why can't LSU find that consistency no matter who's been there? You know, you couldn't do it with Saban. He couldn't go back-to-back. You couldn't do it with Les Miles. He couldn't put them in back-to-back situations. Now it's with Ed Orgeron. What is it? Is there something that LSU's missing that keeps them from, from being able to have two consecutive years of being elite? I think you're starting to see the stepping stones to have consistency. Ogeron going out of state to recruit and not doing the less miles where he relied on really the majority of his class to come from in-state. Right. And I think that's something you have to do. There, look, if there's one positive, is that LSU has a top five recruiting class and they have room to, add, to make him even, even better. I mean, you add a guy like Mason Smith, and you have probably a top three recruiting class going forward. But it's not only that. I mean, look, everyone talks about how good Joe Brady was. Joe Brady was here for a year and left. That's going to happen in college football, especially when guys come into and, and see this program as an opportunity to be a stepping stone to progress their career. It really shouldn't be a stepping stone for a guy who's stepping into retirement like what it is for Bo Pelini right now. And okay. honestly, in some aspects, Scott Lenahan and really uh, I don't want to bring him into this picture as well, but Steve Ensminger, a guy who, you know, a couple of years ago was doing this, and he said this, as a favor to Coach O. Yeah. He, was, he was stepping in as the offensive coordinator as a favor to Coach O. And, and so if, if that's what this is going to be, you're not going to have consistency. Yes, you may get a fluke year where you have talent and you have the coordinators around this team and, and you win a national championship. But until you accept what college football is today, and that's just a stepping stone at the end of the day, you're not going to succeed in, in college football, let alone in your conference. And LSU won't win, the, won't win the SEC consistently if they can't realize that. You have to bring some of these younger guys in the Dave Arandas of the world, the, um, you know, and even some of these transfer guys as well, if you want to be consistently good year in and year out. And, and look, it, this is a good opportunity for Coach O to make a change. Um, you know, LSU talked about how they're not going to be making big hires, I think they said today, until like 2023. I think there's enough money for you to fire Bo Pelini right now. Look, People wanted to fire Ed Ogeron after Troy, and, and where would that have gotten us? You know, it wouldn't have gotten us last year. But does anyone really believe that keeping Bo Pelini around is going to make a difference for this team? LSU lost to Troy, and then they rebounded and played better. 
LSU's defense has been historically bad for five straight games, and nothing's changed. You know, if if anything, Coach O said today that, you know, he's not going to make any hot, uh, decisions on the staff until after the season. I, I think that it's time to make a decision and, you know, maybe make a change right now. You've got a week off to do it. And I think you got a guy in Corey Raymond on your uh, on your defensive staff that I don't think that he needs to be the permanent D coordinator going forward. But I think that you can at least get effort out of your guys, and, and that's what this team's lacking right now. And it's in in some aspects, it's disheartening. It absolutely has to be because you don't want to be another Auburn. Like, and that comparison was so valid to me when you said that is is the Gene Chizik, but that's an Auburn tradition. Look, every coach that Auburn has had that's gone undefeated got fired within four years. Every single one of them, whether it was um, going back to Tommy Bowden, Tommy Tuberville. <laughs> like, I mean, it, mm-hmm. the last four coaches from Auburn who got undefeated season all got fired. And within four or five years of that happening, and you don't want to be that with LSU. You don't want to be in this 9-10 game hell where you're winning just enough to to be in the top ten, but you're not in a national championship team. I don't think it's panic, but at the very at the very same time, I think LSU needs to be real. And somebody's got to talk to Coach O about this staff for next season because, yeah, nothing – none of the changes from last year to this year have worked. And that's the biggest thing is that nothing across the board can you point to at this point and say LSU's having success with that. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we talked before we started about uh, other sports and and – you know, it, it reminds me in some aspects of what's been going on with New Orleans and basketball. Look, you can bring talented guys in, but if you can't develop that talent, what does that talent do for you? And Coach O's big thing is, is recruiting. And look, he's one of the best recruiters out there. But if he can't develop that talent, if he can't make that talent grow and uh, achieve, you know, what these guys can achieve and reach their peak performance – you're going to have a, an Auburn-like situation. And, and I don't want – you know, people are going to jump on me and say, well, why are you saying this? You know, you're being a nega tiger and all this other stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, the reason why I was very frustrated and I was really big on getting less miles out at the end of his tenure at LSU was because people got uh, – people were just okay with mediocrity. And, and you know, is that – what we're going to come to with LSU. Yeah, you won the championship in 2019. But if you go look at LSU's Twitter right now, they're highlighting more of their NFL players and they're highlighting their own team. And I think that in itself is a problem. And what's going to be the thing for next year? Are we going to be highlighting guys that uh, are going to be going on to the next next level, a Terrace Marshall, a Jamar Chase? Are we going to see more touchdowns from them than we are going to see from our own team? on a week-in and week-out basis because that's where this team's headed. They're going back into what they were uh, before the 2019 year. And, and that was a team that was mediocre, that was very talented, and, and that talent didn't shine until it got into the NFL. And, and that's not what you want in Baton Rouge. That's not what this program it was trending towards before the season. But right now they're at a plateau, and it's do they go up or they go down? And, and right now it's trending down. What can yep. they do to make it go up? Yeah, you don't want to be a one-hit wonder. Uh, you know, you've at least got to be 
in this situation, you, you know, you want to be at least a USC run, the five years period or something, and where you're constantly competing. And when Bama is the, the, the standard bearer, sitting over there, and they've gone through coaching changes. They've had player defections. They've changed quarterbacks in the middle of a season. They put, a, put you know, from Jalen Hurts to Tua, and then you come back, and, and this year, you, you know, they, they continue. Their offense is performing per, you know, numerically better than LSU's did last year, and they're getting better from week to week. Alabama's getting farther away from their opponents week to week. It's, it's just an indictment of this season that something didn't work. And it's going to be a very long offseason, I think, for Tiger fans waiting to see something, when it, to see some type of encouragement. Because it doesn't – you're used to seeing five-star recruiting classes. You're used to seeing top five recruiting classes in Baton Rouge. What does that mean? Because when you look at the offensive line for next year, Deculus will be gone. Ed Ingram probably gone. Chase and Hines probably will come back. Rosenthal, Wire, they should be back. But you're still talking about an offensive line that's got what, nine, ten freshmen on it, and you're going to add just one to that class next year. I don't know if they're going to be a, a tremendous amount better on that old line unless those freshmen that you're talking about get some reps now and start moving towards being prepared for next season. Yeah, it, it, if there's any time to give guys reps, it's now. You don't have any of those non-conference games like you usually do where you can give some guys some playing time you know, this season right now is, is a lost cause. I mean, at best you can go, uh, you know, 500, in my opinion, on the season. Uh, and, and I don't think LSU is going to do that. Even if they played their best football, I don't think they go 500. So, I mean, like you're saying, let's, let's give some younger guys some, some you know, ability to, to get some playing time. And look, when you talk about those top five classes, we saw them under less miles. Yep. You can have a top five class, but is it really a top five class if you're not addressing your needs? And you brought it up, offensive line. Like you said, we have one offensive tackle right now that's, on, uh, that's uh, in this class. LSU needs to address that, whether it's through the transfer portal or whether they can go out and get one or two uh, big guys. I, I think uh, a Tristan Lee is a, a big name that I think LSU really would like, uh, but LSU's got to come through with those guys. I mean, LSU's DBU, their number one player right now is Sage Ryan, a safety. Uh, you have a lot of linebackers and, and receivers in this class as well, but if you can't improve your line play, how good can your team be? And we see it uh, year after year in the SEC. Offense and defensive line is the most important thing in, in college football and really in the SEC. And uh, LSU looks like it's, it's one of the areas they're really just not addressing once again. Before I let you go, I wanted to touch on this. Um, LSU imposed, self-imposed some sanctions. Um, it kind of flew under the radar, really. Nobody talked about it as extensively as it would be at another time. With all the things going on, I kind of understand that. And most of these things happen under less miles. But in my opinion, what the football program did is try to take a bullet for the basketball program because hell is coming for the LSU basketball program after what we just saw with Arizona. Yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> I, I think that um, Will Wade it needs to be prepared. It, it's like this, is, this may be the 2019 for the basketball program because you have a lot of talent coming back, and yes, there may be an asterisk next to the season. Or, you know, at the end of the day, whatever. But 
I think that Will Wade's going to have a hard time surviving uh, what's coming from the NCAA. And, and I agree with you. I think the, the football team tried to bite the bullet for him. And look, I think everyone knows that in college football that, that players are being paid and there's, you know, certain programs that get away with it, like the Dukes and the Kentuckys and, and UNC when it comes to NCAA basketball. But mm-hmm. I don't think LSU is one of those teams. And as much as Will Wade wants them to be, as much as Scott Woodward and the rest of LSU fan base wants them to be, they aren't. And to compete with some of those big blue bloods in basketball, you have to compete when it comes to dollar signs too. And, and LSU got caught. They didn't do it the right way. I guess that there is a right or wrong way to do it. And they're going to be paying a price. And I think it's going to cost Will Wade his job at the end of the day. And uh, I, I think that the basketball program is going to get some things vacated. And really, it, you know, I, look, I thought this team was propelling last year. I think this team is going to be really talented this year. But, uh, you know, how much does it matter whenever uh, you could have a, a basketball program that is brought back down to earth after uh, propelling and, and, you know, progressing so much the past three years? Yeah, and, and what will you have to show for it ultimately? Because the, the run that they could have had two years ago was messed up by – the Will Wade situation mm-hmm. last season because of Corona. And now with whatever happens this season, um, it's, it's it, like you said, who knows how it will end, but you'd also have to say it's probably unlikely that a first a group of guys who are predominantly playing together for the first time would win a national championship. Maybe they can, but if this is Will Wade's last year, your program's not left any better than it was when you fired Johnny Jones. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think you're right there uh, on that because it's like, well, where does this basketball program go? Because if you fire a Will Wade, you have a bunch of sanctions. Who's going to want to come in and, hire, and coach this basketball team? I mean, you would probably be lucky to have success or more success than Johnny's had in his last year. And that was a team that, if I remember right, only had two SEC wins. I, I mean, this basketball program could go down that spiral – you know, can go down that hole and uh, spiral out of control. And, you know, it seems like the program inside itself and on the outside, at least in Baton Rouge, appears that, you know, everything's okay. But I think everything's okay until that headline comes out. And, you know, I think it may come in the near future. Yeah, I think the only thing slowing it down right now is that the NCAA doesn't want more negative attention. You know, they, they, they're trying so hard to get through this season of football without having a negative story. They kind of did the Arizona thing under the radar. I don't think they want to hit this story in the middle of this cycle at this point. And that's why it's been so slow in general. The NCAA doesn't like bad news. And LSU is a major program. And they don't like putting themselves in that position, um, particularly after LSU was such a major story last season with football. Arizona has not been that type of place for a minute. And so I think, you know, to them, to do it to them, it can be off in the radar. They're a Western program, but LSU is in the heart of what's, you know, the SEC in major college sports. It's a, it's a whole different situation. And it's just so strange to be in this place where six, eight months ago, we'd be talking about, man, everything is coming up roses for LSU. And now it looks just the future is so much murkier. Yeah, and there's just so much uncertainties, and you know, there's there's just question marks all over the board whenever it comes with the future. And really, 
you know, I wouldn't be surprised to actually see some sanctions come towards this football program. Uh, because I think if they're going to attack basketball, they might as well as attack football at the same time. And, you know, it's kind of weird how this is playing out because at the same time you're getting the name, likeness, and image uh, stuff that's going through Congress. And, and, you know, it's supporting players. And, and the NCAA doesn't know what to do because they have to give these guys the ability to, to profit off of their name and likeness. And at the same time, you know, you have these sanctions coming out for schools uh, and look, if LSU gets brought down, I, I can tell you this, if, if football, they try to bring football into it, and I know LSU's imposed some stuff on the football side, I would not be surprised at all to see Ed Ogeron, if he gets in trouble, take some names down with him. And uh, it, it just wouldn't surprise me. I, it wouldn't surprise me if Will Wade did it as well, because it seems like that's the type of person Will Wade uh, could be at the end of the day. But, you know, I, I think that college sports collegiate sports right now it's in a weird position it's you know in, in many aspects college football uh, is the second most prosperous league right now and when it comes to major sports college basketball is not far behind it and what do you do with these kids at the end of the day um, if the major programs are getting away with it but then other teams aren't getting away with it uh, it, it raises question marks and fairness at the end of the day um, but I think that in the next five years, there's going to be a lot of change that comes to collegiate athletics. And, um, you know, I, 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 at the end of the day, David, I think that it's, it's about time that something's been done for these players. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. And I will give LSU credit in that regard that they have tried to stay ahead of this um, as far as being prepared, you know, in getting companies to start preparing them for what these new licensing rules are going to be like. I think Scott Woodward has tried to be very progressive in a number of ways. Um, but I also don't think that anybody could have been in some ways prepared for what this year has been with the decrease in revenue, with Louisiana being in the state that it's in financially, LSU is going to take a hit across the board. Uh, it's just, you know, like, like we both have said, it's, it's, it's a very, it's going to be a very big adjustment after this season ends and before next to see all of this in athletics for LSU, how it rebounds, how they get themselves back on track as a program, as a lot of programs around the country try to figure that out. But no team, maybe in any other state, is going to have the type of scrutiny both within the program and outside of it that LSU is going to have over the next six to 12 months. Yeah. And, and you see the program and, and people are still standing by Will Wade. I mean, especially in Baton Rouge, people will live and die by that man. And, and at the end of the day, they believe that he's done absolutely nothing wrong. And even though, even though that it's, it's blatantly out there, they still believe he's done nothing wrong. And, and like you said, uh, with the NCAA, not wanting a bad image, I think that Scott Woodward and LSU's uh, relationship with Mark Emmert has really helped him at the end of the day because, you know, LSU could be the front page story tomorrow. And, and as of now, they aren't. They've been very fortunate in that aspect. Um, man, this has been a great conversation. I think that there's so much that we'll have to monitor in the months, the weeks and months to come. Um, but hopefully we just survive watching this over the next six weeks to see what, what, what LSU does on the football field. You can only hope that they get better from here because it can't get any lower. 
No, it can. And uh, I, I'm hoping that, uh, that we see some improvement. I, I hope that something happens in this team and in the locker room over the next two weeks. Look, LSU's got a, a, not a brand new facility, but they've put so much money into that facility. It's pretty much new. Uh, they need to stop missing assignments. They need to have effort on this team. And, and I think that uh, – I think LSU has the ability to turn it around. I'm not saying they're going to beat Alabama, Florida, a and I think they actually lose all those games. But at the end of the day, effort can be changed. And that's what I'm going to be looking forward to. Man, please tell folks what you got working, where they can check you out. I know, you, like I said, you're in the real world now as well. Um, and you don't get to spend as much time on this stuff. But um, – What's what's up with you, man? Yeah, um, like like I said earlier, I've been working, so I've been a lot uh, a lot more busier with actual stuff. Yes. Um, so I haven't been able to cover LSU as much. Uh, we will be going deep into recruiting this year as the season uh, continues. Um, so make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter at primetime underscore pod, and y'all check out the Bros Who Think Network. Um, we're part of that network. I know uh, David's been on the podcast a few times as. We've done things from sports to uh, media to, you know, what's going on in the world today. And, and uh, David's taken a, a part of that a few times. And uh, there's a lot going on in terms of what Lyndon and them are putting out. So y'all check yeah, they that do out great well. work. Just great stuff. And, and very, like I said, it is thoughtful stuff. It is something that goes beyond. And, and I agree with you absolutely that more and more fans – we have so much information out there that the basics are covered. And so let's, I think fans want more depth. I think there's a large population of folks who want to have more conversations and they do a great job of that. And you do a great job as well. Um, And I enjoy talking to you every time we do. Um, So I appreciate you coming on and doing me this favor again. Yes, sir. Hey, y'all go out and vote. If you listen to this on uh, election day, y'all go vote. Please do. Please do. And like, I'm taking tomorrow off. I'm not recording a thing tomorrow. Um, I just want to, you know, kind of deep step away, do my part and, and see what happens. But emotionally, I may just hide out after I vote <laughs> and just see what happens on Monday, Wednesday morning, man. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an interesting day tomorrow. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> that it is. Thank you again. And thank you all for listening. Um, for my friend Charles Reese, I am David Grubb, and this has been Hard to Paint. I'll talk to y'all soon. Dude, thank you so much. Hard to paint.